Hey, it's Thomas Frank. I've just got a quick note for you before we get into the show. If you've been enjoying the Inforium or my videos over on YouTube, then you, my friend, should get Nebula. On Nebula, you get ad-free versions of both this podcast and my videos, along with exclusive stuff like extended versions of those videos. And it's not just our stuff that you're going to get. Dozens of other creators are on Nebula, including Ali Abdal, Wendover Productions, Braincraft, Tier Zoo, and lots more. Nebula gives us a chance to experiment, and since everything's ad-free, it's also the best way for you to get our content. Head over to theinforium.com slash nebula to sign up now. Hey, what is up, squad fan bay, and welcome back to the College Info Geek podcast. I just threw up in my mouth a little bit, but we are going to continue on with the show anyway. Fair. <sighs> welcome to the internet's best show. Show? <laughs> I think I was going to say yeah. like resource and the sewer show got in there, but then I wanted to say show, so I just ended up with show. Mm, sorry about that. The internet's best show <laughs> for getting ahead as a student and becoming more productive, but a terrible resource for learning how to hire an online business coach to coach you in your business for teaching people how to become business coaches. We're just not going to talk about that today. No, not today. It's it's one of my pet peeves, Martin. Like, I'll, I'll see these websites of people who are like, I don't know, coaches for weird esoteric things that don't seem like hard skills and then like their qualifications is that they've invested thousands of dollars in other coaches and all of their testimonials are from people saying they're a great coach and like their job title is coach there is kind of a, a coach ouroboros of sorts <laughs> that's a good word i like that i don't know like i don't think coaching is a bad thing but it's just so many coaches who don't have like all they talk about is soft woo woo stuff well, like, and then if you succeed, suddenly you can sell a course on how to succeed, but your success was based on talking about how you s succeed, and yeah. it gets really confusing and meta. Do we ever verge on that territory? Uh, I, don't I know. hope not. Um, I think we we tend to talk about pretty. I don't know, like. I mean, we haven't really did stuff. We haven't told. We have like an episode or two on how to make content, but we haven't been like, here's how to start your own online business. Every episode, so. You know what we need? We need motivation. Exactly episodes. that. Listen to this dash all caps motivation video for 2019 for August 2019. That way I can make another one in September. Okay. And then all I got to do is get like a macro lens and some cinematic music and film everything in 120 FPS. Okay. Just like dramatic looks at the cameras, you know, have like horns swelling in the background and then throw some subtle reverb in my voice, you know. Sounds like you've put this a lot of thought into this idea. your moment. Do not let opportunities pass you by. Do not progress? let the negativity put out by people who may be around you limit you because your limitations are set by yourself and only by yourself. See, I could do this all day. And like it's the so universe. <laughs> I may be, may be mildly limited by the universe. Be the difference maker in an indifferent universe. Do you want to just like make platitudes? I guess. All day. <laughs> Let's, let's talk about an actual topic. The Platitude Platypus. <laughs> I want to put that in the My video. My favorite mascot. People have been uh, up in arms in the YouTube comments. Really? Because, not not for the podcast. Are they going to fight for us? The videos, they might, I don't know. Okay. I was Get about ready. to say, I think I could, I could take most of our fans, but you just watch. Like, like at once, have you watched the movie giant, A Bug's Life? That That's giant, not how that works. That giant French dude from uh, Sherlock Holmes, he's going to show up, and I'm going to be like, nope, I'm out. Oh, that dude was cool. He was cool. He's actually like a pretty dope okay. character. I like him in that movie. 
Um, people are up in arms because I haven't used llamas or goats recently. <laughs> Where are you going to get You're your You're boxed in by your memes, Martin. This is what happens to a creative. That's life. As a creative, you want to change and expand and push your horizons, but the audience of a creative wants just like subtle permutations of what they came to love. Yeah, Which the first not, album. You know, yeah, they want the first album, right? And this isn't to say, like, this isn't to badmouth the audience or to badmouth the creator. It's just like the inexorable split in desires when you are a creator versus when you are an audience member of a creator. Because I'm the same way. You know, I'll listen to a Coheed album and be like, yeah, this is cool, but I really wish it was like, you know, the fourth Coheed album, which was the album that I found them. They're, like they had put yeah. out when I found them. And all the you know old school fans are like, yeah, the fourth album was okay, but I really want Second Stage Turbine Laid. That's the best one. Where's those punk influences? And I'm over here like, I don't want that. I want the glam rock from the fourth album. You know, it's just whatever your, your I guess, first expectations and first impression was, that's what you want forever. And it's it's always a struggle. Yep. yep. It's the everyday struggle. It is an everyday struggle. Speaking of struggles, let's talk about something that I struggle with. Minimalism. You're not very good at it. <laughs> I think I'm actually great at minimalism. Were 80 tabs great at minimalism? Shh. <laughs> okay, that was... You were looking up Eugene, Oregon. What did that even have to do with anything? <laughs> okay. Those tabs were so disparate. There was, there was no connection Look, okay, between Okay, some them. of those tabs are open because I was doing research, <laughs> and I'm like, well, the next article I'm doing is on computer file organization, so maybe I need to keep open these 16 tabs on how to make aliases uh, in macOS and how to make shortcuts in Windows and, you know, all the other things... But then I was also curious about Eugene, Oregon. Well, everybody knows they have the great file organization race over there where they organize their hard drives in <laughs> an hour. And uh, that sounds whoever like has the most organized, I, I, don't, I don't even know how you would judge that. <laughs> that actually sounds like something they would do yeah, in Portland. A, a, pan, a panel of how, judges. I don't know how quirky um, I don't know. Eugene is. Maybe it is quirky. I think I was just, I was curious. I was like, I don't know. I do this a lot. I will go on Google Maps and I will just look at places and just kind of get a feel for them. So, I apologize for bringing up a new derailment topic. Oh, yeah. This is the derailment episode. <laughs> you know, very minimalist in our focus here. Yeah. Anyway, so that's why, that's why Eugene, Oregon was on there because I was just poking around on Google Maps. Yeah. And I forgot to close it. All right. I want to talk about minimalism. Minimalism is a big topic on the internet. There's all these people who are like, look, I only own 100 things. I yep. put them all in that one photo. Definitely. Look how cool I am. I travel to a new country every month. Um, I'm, I'm like unfairly picking on Colin right here because he was the first person I saw do this. And this was like 10 years ago. And I thought it was cool that he did it because he it was kind of deliberate for him. Like he was moving all over the place for, yeah, you know, the, the desire to travel. But... I do remember uh, seeing those photos from several people, actually, and thinking, I should do that. Oh, well, how cool would it be if I only owned 100 things? And then I got to thinking about it. And I'm like, what is the purpose of that other than to brag about how few things I own? Yeah, like the the number isn't really yeah. crucial. So I want to talk about minimalism. Uh, I think there are definitely people out there on the Internet who have put out a lot of great content that is measured and thoughtful about minimalism, like my friend Matt Diavella, um, the minimalists who he works with, Colin Wright himself, uh, maybe Marie Kondo, I don't know. Does it spark joy? Does it not spark joy? Yeah. Get rid of it. I think that's actually a pretty 
I liked that book. A pretty good, um, like, singular idea. So wait, have you read Kondo's book? Yeah, I read that in like 2016. Oh, okay. Is it basically like about minimalism or is it just how to clean up your house? It's like minimalism aimed at your house with the purpose of decluttering your house. But in the end, it results in minimalism. Okay. The only idea that I've ever heard from that book is the does it spark joy or not question for deciding whether to get rid of something, which I do like. Yeah. But... My question is, are there other questions that you use in addition to that one in the book? Well, I mean, that's the primary concept. Some things aren't going to spark joy, like probably like a plunger isn't going to spark a whole bunch of joy. Some, spark some joy things are, yeah, see, in, in that moment, you will be sparked with joy. You know? Yeah. So uh, it's, uh, the book is more nuanced than like the Netflix series. Okay. Where a lot of people seem to have come away with the impression that she like wants you to throw away all your books or something. And it's like she explicitly says only to get rid of things that don't bring you joy. So if you yeah. want your books, she would tell you not to get rid of them. But the the book is it has more time to be nuanced about it and Yeah. You know, Netflix is people watching a Netflix series aren't necessarily listening for the subtle nuance of what she's implying more so mm-hmm. than seeing how people clean their homes, which is also cool. I mean, I watched several episodes of it just to see what was going on. Is it kind would you say that the popularity of her show is kind of due to organization porn more than like an actual desire to clean up your own house? It might be. It was very like reality TV to mm-hmm. me. Oh, does it, like, follow people who are cluttering? Like, yeah, yeah. Each episode is, like, her going through and helping some people with their house. It, it's kind of like, you know, some home makeover show, show. But the book has a lot more nuance, and it's a more fleshed-out idea. It's just so she's, like, Netflix wanted to make it a... Yeah. But for, like, plungers that yeah, you do she, she whispers to your objects and asks if you love them. And then they say, no, they don't love me. And then she throws them into a fire. It's like Toy Story. Yeah. Basically, it's Toy Story. Oh, man. Where they throw them into a fire. Yeah. Whoa, that really lines up. Yeah, that's, that's what I immediately thought All of right. was just that fire scene. Dude, that was, um, that was an intense scene. Yeah. Do you think I should read that book? Or would, would ironically, if, her book clutter my life even more? I mean, if you have a purpose for reading it, like if you had a desire to get rid of things or simplify your possessions. The only desire I have in that regard is... When I buy a house, I want a smaller one than this. Okay. So, yeah, I think this would, house is too big. It would maybe make sense then if you wanted to make sure it all fit comfortably. Mm, okay. Something that I, I try to do is I, I don't want to get space to fit my objects because the space is the harder thing to control whatever house I get in. Mm, like I, yeah. I have less control over whether it happens to have this dimension in a closet. But right. I want to have possessions that fit the space well. So I've always really liked like hotel rooms because mm. they're so like blank slate. They're not over cluttered. They just have what you need, nothing else. If I bring a book to a hotel or my laptop for work, that's all I have. And that's what I do there. Mm-hmm. And that's it. And I've tried to recreate that in like my living room where yeah. I take most of the stuff out and then I just leave the main thing I'm working on in there. Well, that does remind me because I stayed in an Airbnb in um, L.A., and it was, it wasn't a hotel room, but it was like a, essentially a studio apartment, really tiny kitchen. It was all one room except for the bathroom, um, bed, couch. And then there was a really tiny like glass desk over in the corner, but then she had also put up this, uh, 
it was like a board that was attached to the wall and by default it was hanging down so it didn't take up any space and then you could kind of bring it up and prop it up into a bigger desk hmm. and i thought that was pretty smart that's cool and i really liked it actually it was like i mean i live in a huge house but being in that little tiny studio was just kind of nice because everything felt so well thought out yeah like the bed was also a good reading area because they had put nice reading lamps up and then that desk area was you could build it into a pretty great desk but then you could just fold it down and it was free space on the floor if you didn't need a desk yeah and i liked that and one thing i've noticed about living in a bigger house is i have more space technically but it is so much harder to use the space as efficiently as I used to when I was in a dorm. Because when I was in a dorm, I had less than 100 square feet probably, shared with a roommate. So all of my brain power went to figuring out how my roommate and I could configure our collective stuff in the best way possible. And we got real creative. Whereas here, it's like, I don't know. I got another room in the basement. It's fine. Yeah. You don't really think about the efficiency of how you're laying things out. And you're more encouraged to just buy more things without thinking about whether you have space for them because you do have space for them. You just throw them over there. Yeah, there's like so always space. So you'll, then you'll always <laughs> accumulate more. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That being said, though, I think that I have some of the qualities of a minimalist. Probably true. All right, so let's let's dig into the actual topic here. I think minimalism isn't about only owning a certain amount of things. It isn't about having blank walls. It isn't about having that like hyper bright blank aesthetic that you can put on our slash male living space or whatever. I think it's about not owning crap that either you bought just because you bought it for retail therapy, you bought for status or neighborhood comparisons, keeping up with the Joneses kind of stuff. Yeah. Or that you bought without really thinking about why you wanted it. So even if you own a ton of crap, which I do, I think if you had a deliberate reason for both owning it and then like a regularly updated deliberate reason for keeping it around, you are sort of a minimalist. Just masquerading as a maximalist. Yeah, I, I would say that the, the intention min of minimalism is generally having intention. It's yeah. like you, you have things on purpose, uh, you own the things that you need, and as a result, one would expect you to therefore own fewer things than if you didn't care and owned yeah. everything you didn't need. So a result is owning fewer things. And for some people, that might be the, the explicit goal, like mm -hmm. for space reasons. There are plenty of reasons to want fewer things, but... I think the most important part, and really the whole Marie Kondo thing, the, her, it's really about owning the things that bring you joy yeah. so that you can spend more time doing what brings you joy yep. than managing all of your other possessions. Because when you own a bunch of stuff, that the stuff basically owns you in the same yeah. way. You have to maintain it. You have to, um, you know, my car gets super messed up. I have to deal with it. What does that imply? I have to take it to the mechanic. I have to yep. maybe pay for it, depending on how insurance works. I have to call insurance and deal with insurance. Now I have to get a new car because my car was totaled. I have to deal with that. Even if I had really good insurance, which is another cost, I have to pay for insurance forever as long as I'm driving a car and all this stuff. True. But even if they covered everything, I, that still costs me so much time. Yeah. And unless I have enough money to pay somebody else to deal with it, which is still a cost of owning the car, yep. like I'm losing 
everything I have will take something from me in order to maintain it, keep it in good condition, or even just protect it from, like, theft. You know, I have to have a bike lock in order to have yeah. a bike. Yep. You know, it's... Um, the, the fewer things you own, the more free you are, therefore. You get fewer features, but you are freer to do what you want. If you own, like, 100 things and or you can fit your life in a backpack, sure, you can go live in Thailand for a few months and do whatever, do whenever you want. You, so you are freer in that aspect, but you are also restricted in other aspects. Yeah, you're, so you're only freer in, like, a responsibility sense. If I don't own a car and I don't own a mountain bike, then my ability to go ride downhill mountain bike trails is lessened i could yeah. still do it i could take an uber out there i could rent a bike at keystone i could do it yeah but, but that will all probably cost you way more in the long run if i kept doing it a lot yeah. but i would say like for someone who you know wants to do it like twice a year or something it probably would literally be cheaper to uber to the mountains and yeah know, and rent a bike than to buy a two thousand dollar mountain bike but i love to mountain bike and i love to bike in general which is why i own three bikes but uh, you know, I do it a lot. Yeah. Well, in so. that case, it makes sense. It's like, don't take on more possession based responsibilities. Yeah. Then you need, if you really were only going once or twice, it would be kind of ridiculous to say, I will maintain all of this equipment and stuff for the rest of my life. Yeah. Because I wanted to go twice. It wouldn't, it wouldn't make any sense. Ooh. So, okay. So I think we can start like forming some, uh, reasonable rules of minimalism. The first one I would say is, Ask yourself, um, if I want to do something, and let me put this out there, I'm very bad at this. You know, and I know if I, if I don't say this, Anna's going to say it. Uh, I am not good at this. But if you want to do something, find a way to try it like a few times yeah. before you buy oh, yeah, you are the horrible stuff at this. for it. So, yeah, like I got into my head a while ago that I really wanted to play Sekiro. So I went and bought Sekiro. I could have just borrowed it from a friend. That was not a good decision. You know, sometimes I make this bet and I'm right, like with mountain biking or road biking. I'll buy a road bike and I use it for 11 years all the time. I put, you know, thousands of miles on it. But sometimes I'll buy Sekiro and play like five hours and I haven't played it since. <laughs> yep. So, yeah, find a way to try what you want to do. And then if you like build a love for it, then that is a good indication that you should just, you know, go bananas. You can buy the weird bike computer that no one else would ever think you'd need, but like you're hardcore enough that a cool bike computer makes sense for you. Uh, and then the other thing is what you're kind of pointing out, which is like everything you own demands energy from you. Yeah, time, some, you know, time initial cost, money. maintenance cost, cleaning yep. it if you want it to be clean. So there's always like a trade-off, right? If you buy something, it increases your options, but it also because of just like how little time there is in a day, how little resources you have decreases your options by adding to your burden. Yeah. So whenever you want to get into something or whenever you want to buy something, you have to ask yourself, what is the burden that this represents uh, both now and ongoing? And then what is the option that I gain from owning it? And is it worth it? This is why I don't buy expensive watches or sunglasses or anything like that. Like the burden is it's what five thousand dollars or something. Yeah. And what am I getting out of it? Status, I guess. Can I go on another tangent? Yeah. I like a small one. All right. Yeah. So I've gotten to a point in my career where I get invited to events 
that are attended by wealthy-ish people. Like, not Jeff Bezos, high society, like, ha, 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 I'm wearing a tuxedo, but, you know, like, people who have maybe in the millions as their net worth. Okay. Um, I don't currently have in the millions, but you know, I'm able to sort of, like, rub elbows with people like this. And maybe there's a way to intentionally get away from this, but I feel like the wealthier you get, the more time you spend in social gatherings that aren't actually fun. They're just sort of designed for you to either meet people to do more things to make more money or mm. to like kind of show off your status or to sort of embody the qualities of a wealthy person, like being a socialite or being refined or, you know, having conversation and I often catch myself thinking, like, you know what? I had a lot more fun, like, fun just sitting on the couch with my college friends playing Smash Brothers, you know, not caring about how much money we had, not caring about yeah. the fanciness of the beer we drink or whatever. It was it was more fun back then. Uh, and I don't think that the conclusion here is that you should just, like, not want to make money. Because, again, like, money is optionality. Yeah. And, you know, like, someone bumps your car and totals it. Like, money solves that problem. But if you start letting your level of wealth dictate the people you hang out with and the kind of social gatherings you go to and the events you go to, at least in my opinion, you find yourself spending time doing things that you would really rather not do if you were honest with yourself. Yeah. It's really like, it's like the money is the same as everything else. It's like money gives me freedom, just like a mountain bike to do something. Yeah. But it costs me all of the time or efforts or social connections or appearances I need to maintain. Mm hmm in order to maintain and protect that money. And when you're making a lot of money and you have a high cost of living, you have to protect that money. Yep. You know, if I'm making like $200,000 or something, I'm living in a really nice house, but I really kind of just want to go like be a musician or I want to pivot into a different career I'm not good at and learn something new. Mm -hmm. Well, I can't because unless I can immediately make $200,000, if I'm fully extended and I've, I've spent as much money as I make every month or something. Yeah. I have no freedom to make less money. I can't just go teach English in Japan because it sounded fun mm -hmm. because I need to ask, but will that pay off all of my incredibly expensive stuff? Cost of living is a huge burden yeah. to maintain, which is why living beneath your means is a, a very good it's, idea, whether minimalist or idea. not. And I, I found that it, it's hard to do it because there are many good arguments for not living beneath your means. Okay, I don't. I, they're not good. They're just, they sound good. <laughs> Spend everything. I've had multiple people, and these people are doing fine. Like, let's let's be honest. They're not living paycheck to paycheck because they're stupidly buying um, Rolex watches. Like, they're doing great. But they will make convincing arguments. Like, this is why you should buy a $5,000 watch. Like, it's about the craftsmanship. It's about, um, you know, it's, it's about, like, looking the part. If you go into a business meeting and you're wearing a Rolex, then they're going to immediately take you seriously. And... You know, I think there's a lot of appeal to authority there when somebody who mm. is already wealthy, already su yeah. su successful is making an argument for that. Like you kind of hear it coming from them and you're like, well, yeah, I guess you're right. Like they, if they see me wearing an Armani suit, they're like, that's the kind of guy who wears an Armani suit. We're going to take him seriously. But when I really come back to my values, I don't give a crap if I'm wearing an Armani suit. Number one, like I can buy a suit from Suit Supply or in your case, you can buy a suit from JCPenney and it just fits you perfectly. Somehow. Yeah, I guess that was the fine. Worked out. But the other thing is the suit that I'm wearing doesn't make money for the people I'm working with. You know, if I'm doing a business deal with somebody, it's my merit, 
my ability to create a good product or bring an audience to a product that really matters to them at the end of the day. And if I come in wearing a hoodie and I'm like, here's my track record, you know, I built like the most popular course in Skillshare in the last six months. And yeah, I'm wearing a hoodie, but do you care? No, you don't care. So you have to come back to your values a lot because those people can convince you to, to make certain decisions because they made them. Um, I read the Wolf of Wall Street when I was on vacation and he was talking about how like they purposely, like he purposely lived so large to essentially like psychologically force the people working beneath him to live the same way because he knew if they were living the same way, then they would be dependent on doing really well at his company. Otherwise Hmm. they would like lose all their wealth and riches and social circle and everything. Wow. If they had just lived like college kids and made a million dollars, they could have just gone off and done whatever they wanted for 10 years. So like he purposely psychologically manipulated them all into buying fancy sports cars and watches and huge houses. So they essentially were trapped in the rat race and would have to keep working hard for him. That is clever. Yeah. Good strategy. You could say like that guy is a douche for doing that, but it's kind of what our society does on a larger scale. Yeah. Like it's not one dude like trying to pull the strings, but it's just like the emergent phenomenon of all the sides of the market trying to appeal to you in every, every which way you end up in a situation that's very similar. If you don't deliberately live beneath your need, your means and reject things. Yeah. Well, I think that's kind of this capitalism in, in general. And I think the whole, you know, like tech people wearing hoodies or whatever, that comes from sort of the same countercultural push that I think minimalism does here in America, at least, because with capitalism, they need people need to sell you goods and services. And in order to sell you goods and services, they want to convince you that you are currently not enough without them, or else yeah. why would you buy them? So, like, there are all of these forces from all directions saying, hey, did you know that your life it would actually be only perfect if you bought this thing or if you wore this suit? Or if you did this Mm -hmm. cool activity, you're missing something. You need to get a timeshare in the Bahamas because your life is not good enough without it, but it would be perfect if it was. Like everything's like trying to convince you that you're missing whatever it is that you would be paying for. And if we don't Mm -hmm. intentionally fight that through, which is, you know, basically what minimalism is a response to. Yeah. Then we end up with everything and we have the $5,000 watch and a timeshare for some reason. And then. It didn't do much. And the problem is, once you get the $5,000 watch, you're like, oh, well, my $20 dress shirt oh, yeah. doesn't go with this. That is. So it's like this like slow cancer That's a huge spread. extra burden to having because <laughs> once you get the one fancy thing, mm-hmm. suddenly that like Walmart table, that the plastic white bumpy one, that kind of looks like garbage next to my fancy like natural wood bookcase. I guess I better buy a new thing. And like, yeah. oh, no, you know what would make this room better? A grand piano. <laughs> it would look perfect. Everybody would just, it just. But then you get the grand piano and it's like, oh, it's actually, this is too fancy for my living room. Uh, well, I'm not even good. Now room. I have to pay for piano lessons. I didn't want to, but I'm going to look stupid if people see the, <laughs> see the grand piano. Yep. Like, it's for guests. Although that that's like an extra rich power move. Have you seen the progressive commercial where like the dude works for progressive, but he's got like a super hot wife and he can. I don't know, sing opera and play. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. At the I've same seen time, those. like it's it's funny, but I almost wonder if that's like subtly trying to position them at like that. Know, <laughs> like you should aspire to that, you know. But you still have your your you know fun little progressive insurance. Yeah, I don't know. 
This week's episode of our show is brought to you by our friends over at Audible, which is, of course, the best place on the internet to get your hands on audiobooks. And if you have been watching my videos or listening to our podcast for any amount of time, you will know that I am an audiobook junkie. I go on all kinds of long bike rides, go on long drives to the mountains, cook dinner, and when I'm doing these things, I'm usually listening to an audiobook either to learn something new or just to entertain myself. Whenever I'm doing kind of like mundane things with my hands, I like to be able to listen to something that I can, you know, learn new things from. And Audible is the best place on the internet to get your hands on audiobooks by far. They have an unmatched library of audiobook titles in all kinds of genres. They've got sci-fi, they've got fantasy, biography, what are some other genres of books? Cookbooks? Histo- I don't know if you want to Historical cook. fiction? Historical fiction. It's a pretty good one. It's probably better than cookbooks. <laughs> <laughs> I bet you there are there are probably audio cookbooks, but that might be one that I might not get as an audiobook. Uh, but they also have all the bestsellers, lots of obscure titles, lots of really obscure titles. There's like a classical music appreciation course audiobook that I have, which hmm. I will go through someday. Um, and they also have our recommendation for this week, which... You probably saw this coming, but we are going to recommend The Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up by Marie Kondo. Yeah. And I think we just we're going to have one audiobook recommendation this week. It's a very minimalist. It's, don't over thing to do. don't overconsume our recommendation exactly, this week, right? We, we mean, got one. This yeah, is the one. One recommendation. You could always ask me on Twitter if I have other recommendations, and I do, but we're going to keep it at this one. If you want to tidy up your living space, you want to start living with a little bit more intention than you know, listen to uh, Marie Kondo herself. Or actually, wait, she doesn't She doesn't narrate this. Emily Wu Zeller narrates it. She wrote it. And it has 26,000 ratings. 4.4 stars. It's pretty popular. I thought... That's a pretty good rating for that many ratings, too. I know, right? Pretty I solid. My book was doing okay on Audible for having like 75 ratings. But <laughs> nope, 26,000. I think that's the... That's what gets you a Netflix show. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, so every single month with Audible, you get one credit that is good for any audiobook in their library. But you also get two Audible originals that you cannot get anywhere else and access to hundreds of different audio workout and meditation and other fitness programs. And if you go over to audible.com CIG, which is spelled A-U-D-I-B-L-E dot com CIG or text CIG to 500, 500 on your phone, you're going to get a free 30 day trial of audible service and a free audiobook download of your choosing. And again, our recommendation for this month is what is it again? The life changing magic of tidying up. That's it. That's right. Cause you really enjoyed that book. Maybe I should listen to it and possibly tidy up my studio. It's kind of a mess right now. It might be useful for me to actually take up that recommendation. And I do have a couple of credits available on audible so yeah, a free audiobook. Once again, audible.com slash CIG or text CIG to 500-500 on your phone. Big thanks, as always, goes out to Audible for sponsoring this episode, being a big supporter of our show. And another huge thanks goes out to our other sponsor this week, Skillshare. Skillshare is an online learning library with over 29,000 courses in a ton of different topics that can boost your skills and your career prospects. They've got courses on animation, on graphic design, video editing, music production, marketing, and uh, presentations and speaking, which is the category where I'm going to make my recommendation for this week's spot because Simon Sinek, who wrote the excellent book, Start With Why, has a great course on Skillshare called Presentation Essentials. And it is a great course for anybody who wants to more effectively make presentations and public speeches. And I think that 
pretty much everyone needs to get good at that skill because no matter what you're doing, no matter what kind of career path you go down, you're probably going to have to communicate and possibly make presentations in the future. So definitely check that course out. And if you want to get a two month free trial of Skillshare service, you can go over to Skillshare.com geek and sign up. Once again, that is Skillshare.com geek to get a two month unlimited free trial of Skillshare. And even after that, Skillshare is a very affordable platform and there are a ton of great courses on there, including a course from me. So you'll probably see it on there once you sign up. Once again, Skillshare.com geek. And big thanks goes out again to Skillshare for sponsoring this episode. Let's get back into it. But yeah, there's, there's like this slow scope creep or wealth creep. Like you put one fancy thing in your environment and then like the rest of the things kind of look bad in, com- in comparison. Yeah, like if you clean one spot on the floor mm-hmm. and the rest of the floor looks disgusting, you're going to be like, I really need to clean the whole floor. Or just make that one spot dirty, I guess. But <laughs> that's that's what you should do. That's that's Dude, the real friend, strategy. I had a friend in high school who uh, he, he got a, like a used um, Jeep Wrangler and he put his own dent in it. Yeah. And he was like, I just like my stuff to look old. That's fair. And that really stuck with me. Like, I've never been the kind of person who wants my stuff to look old and beaten up. But I was like, okay, so if someone else dents your car, you're not going to care. It's already a dent in it. Oh, yeah. Like, this, who cares? This happens with all my technology. Like, I baby it. I wash my hands before touching it. I treat it perfectly. I accidentally, like, bumped my laptop or I think Ashley dropped her laptop on mine and it scratched the side. And I was like, oh, cool. Well, now I don't really care. It's not in perfect condition. I don't have yep. to maintain it anymore. It was the perfect condition that was the burden. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like the the first scratch is like, okay, well, now it's fine. It's yeah, like now the second release. scratch doesn't really matter. It's it's done now. Yeah, it's like, all right, well, now I'm on the slow it's decline. A, it's, over. it's over. It's over. I don't remember okay. when the first scratch got on my car, but now I'm just like, I don't care that much. Oh, look, there's and a new scratch. And if you fixed the scratch, there. you would then freak out about the next scratch. And I'd be constantly running the dealership. And you'd have to keep doing that. Like getting scratch repairs and things like that. Yeah. And really, it's like, I like my car to look nice, but does it matter that it has no scratches on it? Yeah, like a tiny little hail bump or something. Just like, I don't care about hail. Leave me alone. Especially when I'm using if it. If I live somewhere where hail comes, this is just going to keep happening. It's true. Yeah. I, I am convinced that it is just a matter of time before my car gets hail bumps. Just it, living it, in Colorado. It like has it's... to be. There were so many hailstorms in the last month. Mm-hmm. I think most of them weren't strong enough to actually dent cars, but It's just sometimes... like you're rolling dice that many times, then... It's going to happen at you some get point. The, uh, you get the bumps. Okay. So what if you want to become a minimalist? Where do you start? Well, I've wanted to burn my house down and start over from scratch for a while. But that's insurance fraud and insurance will hurt fraud. the other people that live near me. Yep. And will Property be Property values. A bad, big ethical quantity. I might right go there. to – I don't want to go to jail. Although you're very minimalist in jail. It's true. But you, you your, lack a lot of you lack a lot of the options that not being in jail. Well, there is the burden of not committing crimes, but the options of not being in jail necessitate that burden, in my opinion. So I've been in the process of the Komari method basically <laughs> since 2016, and, uh, <laughs> and just being not outside. in jail is a commodity now. <laughs> I just good. <laughs> I it's my favorite thing to buy. Um, but you're doing it right now because you're in the process of moving from yeah. an apartment to a townhouse. And ironically, your townhouse is bigger, but you're getting rid of things Yeah, yeah. in the move. Well, part of my – so I do like blank walls and negative space. I love negative space in a room. It makes me feel so calm. Mm. If stuff is cluttered, it like freaks me out. What is this uh, podcast studio doing to you right now? Uh, I mean I'm used to it, <laughs> but I would be very unhappy if this was my room. 
I, yeah. I would I would kind of hate it if it was my room. If it's not, that's I can deal with it. But yeah, I've been doing the Komari method since 2016. I've been trying. I just keep getting interrupted by stuff because you know it's difficult to go through all of your yeah. you know many years of possessions. But I got rid of a ton of stuff back in Ankeny. Mm-hmm. I'm getting rid of more now because there was a little bit of overlap in my lease. And I think this is a very convenient situation, but it's, you know it's not always plausible to do it this way. But thanks to the overlap, what I did was first I will move the bare minimum. What do I actually need to function every day? Like a travel bag almost. It's like so I was like we need bare minimum kitchen, bare minimum living room. So we need like like my TV. I'm not going to get rid of that. My piano, and then like my office, office desk the thing I put my laptop on, the little roost stand. Yeah. And like, then I didn't want to bring anything else. It all stays at the other place. And then we slowly discover what we need and we bring it over. And if we never needed it, maybe we don't need to bring it over. So yeah, in my case, this is being a little bit exaggerated because my car got totaled in the middle of the moving process. So I'm getting even more time but you know what? I haven't really needed anything. That's true. Like I know so, you've been frustrated that you can't. I'm frustrated the move, that I can't like but... clean and finish the other place. But what I've basically learned is that probably almost everything over there wasn't necessary. I haven't really thought once about it. Yeah. I don't really. I don't think I could name to you all the things that are over there because I clearly just didn't need them to live my life. And it's still there's a lot of stuff in that apartment. I just didn't need it. It was yep. completely unnecessary. The only side note being mementos, which I will be bringing over at some point. But mm, yep. And I do a little bit of a minimalism with mementos because I don't, you know, giving up memories and things is difficult. And I think for me, it would be ridiculous to just get rid of all of it. I can't do that. Well, let's talk about that because I think that's a common sticking point for people who do want to start decluttering. It's like, yes, like, especially oh, I, I remember when there's, this. Oh. And, and it's not even like a remembering thing. I mean, that's part of it. But there's also like, oh. My grandma gave me that. Yeah. I never use it. I don't really want it. But I would oh, feel just guilty. straight up like gifts. I would feel as opposed if to I got like. It. Yeah. Like what's the, uh, the protocol? That one's there? difficult. So I have gotten rid of some gifts, but I find it very difficult. And I usually keep it for a while mm-hmm. before I get rid of it, like in, in like a year or something. And maybe I try to use it once or twice to say I got something out of it. Yeah. You know? But with with um, more like memory-based mementos, I've made it sort of a goal to keep maybe one or two things from each main person who I might have a memento from, mm-hmm. mostly family members. And I try to keep these things all within this single chest, this cool treasure chest-looking thing that my mom got me, which doubles as a memento from her. Yeah. But then if I keep it all in this one area, my mementos are a little box. And a sword that I inherited from my father, which I will never get rid of because it would be stupid to get rid of that. Yeah. It would be absolutely ridiculous. Also, it's a sword. Yeah. Also, inheriting a sword from my father is like the coolest thing for an inherited memo or memento. But I'm going to keep a small amount of things for everybody. But I want it to be that. I could have taken a whole bunch of stuff when when he passed. I could have. But it was like I'd rather have one object that means everything that Mm -hmm. I protect, that I care about. Rather than if I take like 30 things, right, from from a deceased family or something. Yeah. And I put them all around my house. Now they're just things. They're just like commodities now. Yep. I won't value each one of them as much as I would have valued a single object or two single – two objects, two single objects is a dumb way to say that. But – Yeah. Um, yeah. So even with mementos, 
it's like, what do I need to keep the memory, to keep the purpose? Mm-hmm. And that's just a couple things in a small area. If I keep everything, I will go insane and I can't do that. Yeah. So some gifts, I can't keep them. That's yep. unfortunate. But if I don't remember the gift even existing, and they probably don't either, because a lot of times giving a gift, it's more about, hey, I thought about you. Yeah, it's the moment, right? Like, I don't think most people are going to be super mad that you don't have something they gave you 10 years ago that was like yeah. a little random knickknack. I think they won't even think about it, probably. Mm-hmm. I do have some thoughts on this. So you mentioned the, um, and this is kind of getting away from Mentos for a second, but you mentioned just taking one item. Yeah. Uh, when I went to Comic-Con, uh, just the last time, cause Anna was selling art there, I wanted to buy some art. And, uh, every time Anna and I have gone to cons, we usually buy like multiple small prints cause you want to kind of like stretch your budget. But this time I was like, I am going to buy the exact things I want instead of a bunch of things. So mm. I got like this $120 really cool 3d cuphead, like 3d scene thing. That was, it's not just a print. It's like, oh, yeah. They're, yeah I think it's like cool. Artrovision. They're actually online. You can go look at them. But yeah, I mean, I didn't buy a bunch of other prints because that was sort of my budget for Comic-Con, but it's so cool. And I know from experience, a lot of the art we have floating around, we'll just like make a giant collage on the wall and never really look at one piece. But yeah, if it's one really special thing or like the Going Merry right there. I went to a con in 2012 and that was the only thing I bought that con because it was like 200 bucks, but it's still front and center in my video set. And it's like the most special thing I've ever bought at a con. So it's actually a really good point. It's not only like mementos from people, it's mementos from anything. Like if I go to Japan, I'm not big on owning things. I don't like to, Mm -hmm. but I could easily see myself finding one thing. And I was like, that's, that's the thing. Yep. It's much more sustainable that way. Yeah, and then really that have one really special thing that you really like. Yeah, maximizing you know? the amount of like trying to get the best deal and buy ten things instead of one doesn't really make sense if the ten things aren't as valuable to you yep. as the one. Also, this mindset works for things outside of possessions. Like if I'm gonna get dessert, it would be I think a better idea for me to one time get the crazy fanciest thing I could have mm-hmm. for one day. Rather than say, well, that's a little, it's a little cost, like $10 ice cream. What if instead of that, I just ate like a pack of Oreos every day? <laughs> like I'm yeah. eating the worst dessert and it's worse for me in this situation. Yep. It's like, even if I saved money, it doesn't, a, a very good experience, I think is more, it's going to be more memorable than several kind of all right experiences. And isn't, yeah. aren't memories kind of the majority of what like life is? is if i don't remember it it's like it didn't happen true though that is a mindset that does require balance because a lot of people take it so far that they're like instead of going on a vacation twice a year i'll go once every five years to the most amazing vacation ever and for one like you spend five years not going on vacation burning yourself out and the other thing is you build up the expectations so high in your head about how good this big one is going to be that there's no way the actual experience can meet it that's a little little i've thought about booking um like a like going to the french laundry with anna someday you know it's like 300 per person to eat there and i'm sure it would be good but i bet you we would go and my expectations would be 
far in excess of what the actual experience would be because everyone said it's the best restaurant in the world most amazing experience ever you know how could it how could it match up to that a lot of things uh are like this too like with movies sometimes i'll go into a movie blind and because i have no expectations i'm like this is great yeah i and i honestly think like um the reason that i liked alita battle angel so much more than captain marvel is because i knew nothing about alita going into it and i was just like no expectations oh this is pretty darn good whereas captain marvel i'm like this is an mcu movie it's got to be so amazing i think they're both really good movies but i came out of captain marvel a little bit not disappointed but i guess my expectations weren't met yeah oh and this this is how a lot of people like get their their opinions are soured by like reviews they see beforehand because yeah. if you expect not to like it you'll find every flaw possible mm-hmm. but yeah i think you just need to have like the one chill friend who's just like yeah it's good you should go see it yeah you know instead of it's it's, it's amazing you it's cool. must see it like <laughs> yeah just, it's yeah it's pretty good you should go see it yeah. i'd recommend it's not a waste of time yeah. But getting getting back to possessions and stuff, because yes. I guess me having an overlap in the lease, most of the time that you want not to have that because there's double mm-hmm. rent involved. It's very inconvenient. But sometimes there's just timing, you know, imperfections that you can't. Yeah, I, I was just making the most of an overlap, mm-hmm. which it's working pretty well for me. Yeah, but you know, it's it's hard to clean something if you're just rearranging in the same space. But the actual activity I made to decide what to move is accessible. So if you Get, get out of your house, get out of your home if you wanted to clear your possessions, and then just write down all the rooms in your home or the things you want to do in your home. And should, What would I need in there? Yeah. What, what can you think of? If you can't think of something, that might be a sign that it's not that useful. Mm-hmm. Unless, unless you really need it, you'll know. But I, was, I wrote them down. I was like, I need a TV. I need a thing to put the TV on, probably the table so I can have drinks. P- piano. And then I started running out of stuff. And when I did that for every room, it occurred to me that the stuff that I can think of because I use it every day and need it, that's the most important stuff. Everything else is an option, which is why it's staying behind. So you could do that. You just need to leave your house long enough to force yourself to try to remember it, Mm -hmm. write it down, come back, look around, say, oh, wow, there's a lot more stuff than that list. Yep. I didn't. What's that even doing there? And then it would be more accessible that way, I think. Yeah. Yeah. There's probably some redundant things I could get rid of. Like, I have a guitar amp right there, but I have since upgraded to, like, a PA system with a guitar amp emulator pedal, so I don't even know if I need the guitar amp anymore. Oh, that, yeah. That could possibly go. Uh, oh, I, so I had a thought about the Mementos thing. Yeah. So, a couple of things. I think that you should keep gifts for a small amount of time, even if it frustrates you to have them in your life. Again, you can have, a men- like, a Mementos box or a gifts box, Um, and this is because humans are a social species and our relationships are forged in part by informal debt bonds, right? So it's a anthropological or I don't even know if I'm saying that correctly, but it's like an, yeah, anthropological way of saying people like to give each other gifts. People like to sort of be in each other's debt and vice versa, not in like a monetary way, but just in a, you know, I gave you a gift because, I like you. We're friends. We have like a, a relationship here and there's yeah. sort of like a token of that existing now. Um, so you should keep gifts for at least, you know, a short amount of time to sort of respect that. Yeah. I wouldn't throw it in the trash right after they hand it to you. Thanks. Yeah, this is really that. cool. Yeah. But so this is what I've started doing. I let people know that I enjoy food gifts. 
So fancy wine, yeah. fancy whiskey, chocolate, uh, you know, fancy beef jerky or whatever. Like I like those. Those because are the best gifts. If I get those, number one, I'm really going to enjoy them, like soon. Whereas if somebody gets me like a handball set or like a wiffle ball or I don't know, like when's the next time I'm actually going to use that? But if you get me fancy wine, I can drink that right now, and then it's gone eventually. Yeah, that's that stuff's my favorite. It doesn't yep. it doesn't clutter your house. Also, if I needed something, I'd probably just bought it myself. Yep. In most situations. <laughs> Like, and obviously sometimes it's a gift you can't afford, then it's really cool. But at yeah. this point in my life, like my family can't really co- come up with a whole lot of like, I'll buy the new Switch game myself. Yeah. I just, I already pre-ordered it. There's no reason for you to get it for me. Mm-hmm. But so, but fancy food and stuff. Yeah. Every time I'm so grateful. Or just make it's me the some, most exciting. Yeah. Like, oh, you made me a pie. Like, perfect. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't actually need a, you know, a, a thing that's going to last. It's the best. So yeah, fancy food and drinks, um, and then asking people to donate to charity for you. Mm, yes, is a good one. Or experiences like I really want to go zip lining. I would love like a gift card to this zip lining place or something like that. Yeah, yeah. And then you don't acquire things, but you still give people the opportunity to give you gifts, which makes them feel good. If you're the kind of person who's just like I don't want anything, like it actually is kind of a souring thing for the other person. Yeah, they want to be able to feel important in your life, and people do that by giving gifts. Well, yeah, and it would be like mean if I was like, "Family, you can't get me anything that I want." All right, so mm-hmm. stop. It's like that's very mean. They want to get me something as a token of yeah, our relationship. It would, yeah, so you got to come up with something. Exactly. So yeah, I think it's good to at least communicate those things. Okay, so we've talked about the beginnings of the decluttering process. What if you're not moving? Well, one thing I've done is I try to move everything into one room, use that room as storage, okay. make my decisions, move everything. So I, I would put it all into my storage room, which which I had at the other place. I put it all in. It's a cluttered warehouse in there. Then with the other rooms now bare, I would think, what would make that the perfect living room? And I move exclusively that stuff. Mm. So it's just the same thing. You just need an extra room. You need yeah. it or a little corner of a room. You need a place to put everything before it goes back out because otherwise you're just like running stuff in circles it's really hard to keep track of what you're doing yeah it's true it's uh and it gets overwhelming yeah and with the with the the marie kondo thing she has in her book the method starts out by you go through categories so you take like every bit of clothing in your house and you sort it all at once you don't sort this room and then this room and then this room because then you inevitably keep having to go back in circles about stuff you've already decided yeah and it it gets confusing so you could also do that. If you're sorting by category, you may not even need a, a big room or a or a big corner in a room to store all your stuff at once. You just store that one category on the floor or something. Yeah. Sort it out, and then you're done. So it's just you kind of got to be able to see everything you're trying to sort at the same time. How do you deal with the what if question? Like, well, what if I do want to use this? Like, you know, I, my aunt Petunia really likes Balderdash, and like I never play it, but I might as well keep it around because if she comes over, she she doesn't like to play anything else, just Balderdash. She actually has a problem with it. Like, yeah, she gambles on only Balderdash. Balderdash only. It's uh, actually a big deal. <laughs> I try to consider a couple of things. One is if it's something that I would just buy again if I really desperately needed one. Mm, okay. Like, but that depends on the price, naturally. Yeah. But if it's like. Um, so if I had a, 
like something like my longboard, pretty not great condition. Yeah. If I got rid of that, I think it would be safe because if I wanted to longboard in the future, I would be willing to just buy a new one that was better anyway. Yeah. So I don't lose anything because I don't really want to use the current one anyway. But, and you also have rollerblades. And a bunch, yeah, and I've got so. other options. But also, I try not to get rid of everything immediately. A lot of times – so actually, I have a couple boxes at the apartment that are things I'm going to donate. Mm-hmm. But they've been in those boxes for a few months. It gives me plenty of time to Ooh. think, should I gra- – wait, wait. Where was that thing? Oh, I thought I was going to donate it, but I need it right now. I just forgot that I would need it. And then I pull it right out of the box. So even though it doesn't create the same like cathartic release, it would be good to have the decision to get rid of something far precede it's, the actual. It's the opposite of the thirty-day list for buying. Yeah, like I've decided I'm going to get rid of this. Okay, a month from now, it's going. Yeah, because some things you don't you don't remember why you might need it, or mm-hmm. it might be a cooking thing, and you're like, "What is that little specialized tool for?" And then later you're like, "Wait, that was my favorite recipe. What was I doing? <laughs> I need that. Yep. I don't want to buy another one." Every single cooking accessory is at least twenty dollars at Target. Like every one, no matter how small. Yep. Yeah, so, there's there's certain things that I've I've bought for like video making purposes, and then I don't use that piece of kit for a while, but then, you know, like a good example is for a long, long time I had a very sort of static video setup where yeah. I stood in front of the camera. It was like kind of a medium shot and I didn't really do anything else. And if I wanted to just always use that, I could have gotten rid of my wide lens, could have gotten rid of like one of the tripods, could have gotten rid of everything. But now I'm like, oh, I really want to do like a sitting at the table video. I need a wide lens for that. Like you just really can't use a medium focal length lens for a table shot because of the physics of it. And it would be so. obnoxious to go out and buy another lens exactly. when you just need one thing. It's Yeah, so I tend not to get rid of camera stuff. I tend not to get rid of things that allow me to be more creative, even though I guess you could always make the argument that limitations breed creativity. But I don't know. For like, That's the tough thing as a video maker because there's so much I could use to improve videos. Yeah, it's, it's like, like hard will you say. use this within a year? Yeah. Because if so, maybe but you I don't should know. keep it. It's, I don't know how to answer that question. Know. How do you answer a year question? Like I could be at the beginning know. of the year asking myself, am I going to do wide angle table videos where I'm like showing off file cabinets? Probably not. I don't care. Oh, well, well, actually, Fine. you could answer that by having – you could if you had a section in your closet, right, and there was a shelf on like – let's say you put everything to the left and the left of this little duct tape line or something is stuff. And every time you use it, and you put a little date there so you know that this happened on March 20th mm-hmm. of 2019. Six months later, anything that you haven't moved to the other side of that line because you've used it, you haven't touched it in six months. Okay, yeah. So that'd be cool. I guess there's no perfect way to know whether or not you're going to need a specific thing. No, but At least a rule like that kind of helps you to make the likely right well, and some stuff seasonal like i'm not gonna need a christmas tree all year long you know it's but yeah. it's it's a lot of it's hard to predict and there is some inherent risk in getting rid of something but there's a very good chance that that fear is just we don't like to lose things we just have loss aversion yeah and a lot of things could be replaced and stuff that's really expensive like video and gear that is probably way more risky to get rid of you know that'd be ridiculous i feel like if you're going to have a bunch of something at least you should just be able to store it well so that it's organized it's it looks good like it's not just cluttered everywhere that's basically the same purpose it's intentionally there 
you're That's taking true. you're taking care of those things. They're there for a reason. I have three camera lenses. One of them I almost never use. But until I have something that will repeat its functionality better, getting rid of it cuts out something I might need occasionally. Is that your uh, telephoto? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, like, that that's kind of what I'm getting at because you usually do macro. Yeah. But then... Almost, almost always. One time but... you're like, oh, I really want to take fireworks pictures off my deck. You can't really use a macro lens for that. Yeah, so until I get something that does it better, then I could replace it. Upgrading things is perfectly reasonable. It's a one-for-one yeah. trade. Or especially if you can trade like two or three things for one. That's a pretty good deal. Yeah. So I guess like how into whatever hobby are you? Yeah. You know, so like I'm really into cycling, so I own a few bikes. If I was only kind of into cycling, I would probably just have one. Yeah. And you have like 18,000 guitar pedals down there. But for me, that would be a really dumb idea. Sure, I could use them maybe within a year, but I'm really, I just don't play guitar really a lot. Yeah. So it doesn't make any sense. If if you really love something, you're going to probably have more stuff related to it and it makes sense. Mm-hmm. But if you just started out and you thought that you couldn't make music until you had 18 guitar pedals and yeah. you don't, like you've had a guitar for years. Like it's, I doubt you're going to get bored of the entirety of a guitar tomorrow. Nope. Yeah, definitely. It's less guitar, risky it's to like, invest at that point. Years of just you know. acoustic playing. And before I got my camera stuff, I tried out Ashley's small point and click mm-hmm. to try out the concept of photography without any fancy gear. Because if you can't take photos you like without fancy gear, there's not much of a reason to believe that fancy gear is the only solution for you. Yeah. And then I rented, my macro lens was expensive. So I rented it for a couple weeks right, straight yeah. and tried it. And then I still thought about it after that mm-hmm. because it's it's an expensive item to buy it and then not need it is that would be annoying because yeah. I could just rent it every once in a while if I wasn't going to use it frequently. And I guess to that point, um, I rented a mountain bike before I bought one. Yeah, like be, being able to try I it had first. so much fun and I was like, this I want to do this a lot. <laughs> like photography, videography, all that stuff's really expensive. Imagine if I just tried out photography got all the stuff and then hated it that it's a terrible yeah. idea so i guess yeah for, for the accumulation question what is the free way that you can try this thing yeah before you buy it and, well and so much stuff's rentable mm-hmm. the car that i enjoyed until it was totaled i rented that i, I got mm-hmm. that from a rental and then i was like hey you know what i like this one so then when i needed to get a car when ashley's broke down i was just like i liked that other one Yep. I'm just going to get that. I know that I like it. There are no questions. Fine. It yep. makes it easy, and you can rent camera lenses. You can rent basically, I mean, what can't you rent? You can rent fancy cars. You can rent lots of weird things. There, so there's an app called Turo, uh, and I used it in L.A. to rent a little Porsche Boxster. Really? So I just drove a Porsche for like 10 days. Uh, and it was cool because like, in my mind, before I'd ever driven a Porsche, I was like, man, driving a Porsche would be amazing. It would be the coolest thing. And I get it. And the, like the first day, it was amazing. I was like, this is really nice, actually, driving with the top down. And then the second day, I'm like, I've normalized to it. Yeah, maybe that's Still all, fun. all you needed was the experience yeah. initially. Still fun, but those cars start at, what, 60K? And the trunk space isn't very good. I'm like, what am I really getting out of that? I think it just offers me a little bit of like more fun handling while driving. Where else can I get that? Oh yeah, mountain biking for 
many, many, many thousands of dollars less. Yeah. And the adrenaline rush I get on a downhill mountain bike trail is infinitely higher than, you know, slightly more fun driving on legal speeds in a Porsche. So I'll just keep my practical car and then do that. I think that's actually a good question to ask. Like, is there a way that I can get the same or maybe even better experience or like in a tangential way that will save me money or that will save me from accumulating more things? Yeah. Do I need to pool my backyard or can I just go to the local pool every once in a while when I'm feeling it? Do I need to buy a trampoline or can I just go to Sky Zone every once in a while? Yeah. You know, those kind of questions. Yeah, there's just so much stuff that it's easy to accumulate because you convince yourself you need it because, again, that's the point of capitalism mm-hmm. is that you're – like I think kitchen gear is something that I've had a weakness to in the past. Oh, yeah. Just like I'm going to cook all these things. but <laughs> must have but then like blender. But then like I don't use it. I bought a mortar and pestle. I've used it once. <laughs> and that pesto was amazing, but like it was really obnoxious. <laughs> so yeah, you I'm, don't want to make so it. So I'm just probably not going to make it like that. Mm-hmm. My fancy Japanese knife, on the other hand, great buy. Because it's not Cut, a unit It cuts tasker. everything. And I guess like it a, does what I need. A mortar, a mortar and pestle isn't a unitasker. It's like too much real, effort, but though. For you, it probably is. It's like, like yeah, what are you going to do? Am use? I going to make homemade aioli? Maybe. But like, it's just unlikely that I'm going to do that. Yeah. Being the perfect version of everything I might try, the perfect, most natural, homemade, mm-hmm. or artistic cooking is just unnecessary for me. So, how would you get that experience without buying all the gears? Gears. <laughs> Without buying, you know, the cogs. Well, I think sometimes sprockets. you just need to need to prove the concept slowly. Mm. So, like, before buying a fancy knife, I should probably see if I cook with a regular knife. Yeah. And once, oh, so this is something my can't my photography teacher told me when I took some classes after university, and he was like, "So basically, don't just go buy new gear. First, take as many photos as you can, and." Eventually, if you hit a wall where you're like, this is exactly what I'm trying to do, and specifically the gear is keeping me from doing it, at that point, you should yeah. consider upgrading. But I wouldn't have needed the macro lens or crazy $2,000 telephoto lens or something in the beginning because I wasn't even good enough to use the kit lens on my yeah. camera. I wasn't talented enough to make that hit. I couldn't hit a wall yet. There was no wall for me. Mm-hmm. The wall was my talent. And in cooking, the wall is my aptitude for cooking. And my passion for different kinds of cuisine until I hit something where I'm like, yeah, I'm cutting a lot of vegetables and this knife is kind of garbage. Yeah. I'm cutting so many vegetables every day. A better knife is now worth it. I'm hitting a wall where it's the tool and not me. Mm-hmm. Uh, so another good idea. Go take one of those one day cooking classes. Oh, that'd be cool. Cooking classes. I think I just said cooing. I mean, you could take a cooing class too. <laughs> You don't need it. You're pretty good. I'm a master. Did that do it? Kind of. It's pretty close. Different tonality, <laughs> different subspecies of bird. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm, I'm from a different globe. We're probably related. <laughs> but uh, no, the, so the Stanley Marketplace has a cooking school where you don't have to take like a curriculum, but you could just go for one day and learn how to cook one meal where you get to do a bunch of different techniques. That's pretty cool. So, yeah, you could pay for that. And I don't, it would probably cost you more than buying a mortar, mortar and pestle, but good education costs money, as it should. Um, but then you're not bringing anything home. And you get the experience. You're like, all right, I wasn't super into spending 20 minutes grinding spices out in the mortar and pestle, but I really liked chopping up these vegetables. 
And I really liked baking this souffle, so I'm going to go buy whatever I need for that. Yeah, and there might be community kitchens or something where you can Mm -hmm. go and use their stuff. I know that there are specifically community places where you can go use power tools and all sorts of stuff like that. Yeah, maker shops or maker spaces. Yeah, like that's really cool because I don't want to blow all my money at Home Depot Mm -hmm. when I if I need to build one thing. I think the Denver Library has a CNC machine. Oh, they have a lot of stuff like, in the, the library. Laser the libraries do a ton stuff. of stuff, and they have, like, button makers. They have everything. This is another big one. Actually, you know, I don't think this gets talked about enough in minimalism. Community enables a lot. Like, if you build relationships, right? So yeah. I think about this. Every single person on my block owns a lawnmower, and every single one of those lawnmowers spends 99.9% of its time sitting in the garage doing nothing. Yeah. What if we just had a mowing schedule and we all just shared one lawnmower? Like, hey, Frank, can I borrow the lawnmower? I got to mow my lawn. Sure. Yeah, that would would totally work. You know? So if you just got to know your neighbors, you could share stuff very easily. And yeah, maybe you don't get to mow the lawn exactly at the moment you want to. But again, like constraints breed creativity, you know? Cool. I got to mow the lawn at 12. That's That's my lawn mowing slot. Yeah. Oh, oh no. But Uh-oh. but like everybody collectively has now saved a ton of money and space. Mm-hmm. You know, or or the whole block could get together and hire a mowing person to like mow the entire block and like it's just part of your HOA or something like that. Yeah. You know? There's like a lot of benefits to be had when uh, people collectively come together, and I feel like I feel like that's like a tagline for communism <laughs> but <laughs> but like down with it, the system well especially because i was talking about how capitalism wants you to think you need things so uh, uh-oh <laughs> but this you know, episode is not about political revolution <laughs> it's viva, about minimalism viva la lawnmower we need minimalism. minimalist <laughs> government intervention revolution but, but to it do it probably agree, not right like there's certain things i want to have access to every night i want to have my live music set up there whenever i want it you know if i walk down yeah. the living room today i'm like crap my guitar amp is at frank's house i would be mad like that's something i want all the time lawnmower i don't care chainsaw i don't care sledgehammer i don't even know those things my neighbor does if i need a chainsaw he'd probably just let me use it yeah so i don't know so i'm not i'm not gonna say you should go to your neighbors and be like hey i don't talk to you ever but can i borrow your crap because i don't want to buy it but i am saying is forge friendships and relationships with the people that you are in proximity to because then you can help each other work together borrow cups of sugar whatever i don't know people don't do that as much these days i think because they have friends that are more spread out due to yeah internet and uh, the pattern of moving to cities and not having neighbor relationships. There's all kinds of reasons for it, but I think it is a big contributor to why people feel the need for more minimalism because we have so much more individualism. And I think individualism is something that leads to mindless consumption. Yeah. Well, and to a degree we feel like, uh, you know, like the keeping up with the Joneses things, like your your things somehow represent how you're doing. And on, yeah. on like Instagram, your fancy food that you eat or the amount of vacations you buy, it's like all status because we're trying to like impress a community that we don't reach out to all that actively yep. all the time. So what you may need is simply people. That's true.
I think that might be a good place to to end this. Yeah. You just need people, man. Forge some friendships. Uh, I believe in people yeah. minimalism. I'm actually well, going to cut out 99% of my friends. I'm going to send them a message that says, I'm a minimalist now. You could be a people minimalist. We're done. Well, yeah. Like, what if you have a bunch of like friendships and you don't have any deep ones? Like, that would be... Well, that that's absolutely you know. true. That, But that's, you know, how it's supposed to be taken. Yes. Living with intent. Yeah. But I want to ruthlessly cut out all the people from my life for no reason other than to say, well, I have a hundred or fewer social connections. <laughs> <laughs> that guy on the internet is a hundred. I'm going down to 75. Sorry, number 101. Like you're, you're not having a good day. Upmanship. Yeah. <laughs> I only have one friend. But only one upmanship. I don't know two upmanship. It's too many upmanships. Yeah, I'm a minimalist about my upmanship. <laughs> all right. I, I think that's a pretty good place to end. We've been yeah. chatting for quite a while here. So... Uh, if you enjoyed this episode, well, I'm glad you enjoyed it. I don't really know where I was going with that. <laughs> I guess you can go. Thanks. <laughs> you, you can go over to cigpodcast.com slash 272 to find the show notes for this episode. We'll link to um, to some of Matt Diavello's videos on minimalism, maybe the minimalists. Marie Kondo, you know, you just got to bring the joy to your life, all that kind of stuff. Otherwise, cigpodcast.com is where you can go to subscribe to this podcast. Unless you're trying to be minimalist about your podcast subscriptions. I know I'm guilty of subscribing to too many podcasts. So, you know, only subscribe to us if we've earned your subscription. And I don't think we did because I opened this episode with What's Up Squad Fam Bay. And I'm sure no one... Well, now you're closing the episode with it. So It's all full circle. See, it rhymes. It's like poetry. Yeah. You know, Jar Jar Banks is a Sith Lord. Yep. Um guaranteed if you enjoy this podcast as a whole you know maybe the episode isn't in- indicative of the quality of the show so give it a couple of listens you know and listen to a couple episodes and if you enjoy those too then a great way to support us would be to either share the podcast with a friend let them know which episodes you like best and maybe they'll become a listener as well or go over to itunes or slash or slash apple podcasts i speak like i write sometimes i say the word etc uh, go over to Apple Podcasts and give us a rating and review that helps us go up the rankings, but also lets us know what you're thinking, what we can do better, what you like, all that good stuff. Last but not least, collegeinfogeek.com is where you can go for all kinds of other great ways to improve your life as a student, study tips, productivity, all kinds of cool stuff. And we now have a nice little resources drop-down menu item that you coded so you can easily get to our college packing list, our essential books list, our main resources page with lots of cool apps and books and gear that we recommend, uh, and our merch store. So check those out. Thanks for listening. We will see you in the next episode in a couple of weeks. So yeah, August 19th, I think. Until then, stay cute.